This is JCU Conversations, a podcast show from James Cook University, Singapore. Tune in as we ask experts in the industry more about their lives and their approach to success. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's listen to today's episode. Hi, I'm Steffi Vanessa, President of James Cook University Singapore Alumni Association and Investor Relations Associate at Tribeca Investment Partners. Our guest today is Mr. Sriram Iyer, the Global Chief Operating Officer at ANZ Bank's Institutional Banking Business and Head of Group Capability Centres. He's also the former CEO of Scope International and he currently serves as a member of the Board of Advisors and a member of the Business School Advisory Subcommittee at James Cook University, Singapore. Welcome, Siram. Thank you for doing this. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All right. Then, uh, without further ado, we have a list of questions for you, and it's so gr- we are so grateful to have you here today to share your insights you. with us. Uh, so, as a quick introduction, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. can you briefly share your journey and experiences in the banking and tech world that have led you to your current role? Right. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I have been in banking for close to 28 years now. Uh, I did 18 years with another large global bank. And I'm now with uh, ANZ Banking Corporation, which is about a $70 billion market cap bank uh, for the last 11 years. And as you said, I'm running the corporate and institutional banking chief operating officer position. Prior to this, when I qualified and I got into my work life, I got into management consulting first, and then I did manufacturing industry for about six years. Uh, so that is my brief history. And in my current role, there's been an extension of my responsibilities where I also am now accountable to run our, what we call, group capability centers. And we can talk about that later. Excellent, excellent. Given your significant experience in the banking and finance industry, you were saying basically decades, uh, what insights and advice can you share for people who are looking to enter or grow in the industry? Well, firstly, apart from my bias, I have to say that banking is at least a formal 250-year-old industry, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not going anywhere in the sense of a downside. So it is the industry that has huge sustainable value. And there will be elements of banking that naturally will change over time because of technology. But it is a fantastic place to be in. It is a great, impactful industry which touches all parts of all economies wherever it is present. And there is huge maturity of different types. It impacts all our lives. So I would say to qualifying students, if you're even thinking about banking, do not hesitate. The great thing in the last maybe three decades is that banking and technology have come together like never before. And technology is, you know, you can't lift a finger these days without technology. So if you've got an industry which relies and grows and adds value using technology, and that industry itself has a huge impact on the society, then that combination is a great one. And Mm -hmm. so my bias is, do consider banking. (laughs) (laughs) I can definitely relate to that bias since I'm a finance professional as well. Yes. And when you look at the marriage within technology and banking, we experience it daily in our lives with digital banking, as well as the current changing landscape with AI and technology, which 
I promise you we will touch upon a bit later. It's a big, Keen big to topic. Uh, but before that, I kind of want to go back to the first question, right? Speaking about growth in the financial industry, maybe tell us a bit more about your new additional responsibilities you mentioned earlier and what opportunities this may present for global mindset since, after all, our university is quite an international uh, space to be in. Good. That's a good question. So when you think about a big bank which is present in many dozen countries around the world, it is, a generally speaking, a complicated organization to run it and to keep it tight. And one of the prerequisites of running a bank, I'm not saying I run the bank, but I'm a part of the leadership team, is to manage risks, mm. right? Now, part of the thing about operating model over time is that technology in the last 20 years or thereabouts has enabled the establishment of separate dedicated capability centers which service the rest of the bank. So there are many activities, business product work, analytical work, risk work, processing work, mm. lots of components of work which are housed together under one umbrella, uh, which is part of the bank, but they are co-located for scale and for adoption of technology. So they are called by different names. Some companies call them offshore centers, some call them business process outsourcing, some call them innovation centers. The name at one level doesn't matter. We tend to call it group capability center. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a presence in uh, India. We have a presence in uh, Manila. We have more than 10,000 employees who are all part of ANZ Bank, most of them I would say, and uh, they add huge value to the rest of the bank. Very nice. Uh, and I think this will be really valuable insight for our students as well. Uh, our students come from various international countries, Correct. be it India, China, Indonesia, and within Singapore itself as well. So uh, definitely this shows us there's a lot of global opportunities here, even within banking, right? And you use the word global mindset, and that is the right phrase, because the more students, I would say, get to understand how the construct of banks have evolved over time. And remember, there are some, give or take, 30,000 banks in the world. So there are different scale and different complexities. So the more, for example, students out of Singapore get to know the global models in which this industry works, then your eyes open up to different opportunities in different situations. Right, okay. Then uh, I suppose looking at this incredible global workforce, and you told me earlier, I think your work, your team that you manage is about 10,000. That's, that's, that's huge, that's incredible. So as a chief operating officer, I really would like to dig your mind here. What strategies do you employ to foster a culture of collaboration and drive high performance teams? Culture of collaboration and high-performance teams. Now, that is a diff difficult question. Yes, I do have a large team. Yes, it exceeds 10,000 people. Um, but there's one thing which is important, which is bigger than sort of my team, which is the culture of the organization, mm. right? In ANZ's case, we have ballpark some 45,000 employees uh, around the world. And so the top leadership of the bank, by and large, sets the culture of the full complement of people, in this case, roughly 45,000. And so, first job is to make sure that 
whatever in this case the team that i run mirrors and marries what the company expects you to do mm-hmm. which is in our case you have a proper enterprise culture uh, which hinges on the purpose of the company so in our case we have decided as a bank uh, several years ago that we want to make an impact in the communities that we operate in and help people and communities thrive mm-hmm. in the banking services that we offer that might sound a little bit high level and fluffy but the point is that that purpose decides the culture mm. and the culture decides how each part of the company adopts that culture never easy difficult to measure but a lot depends on how the companies are run because banking has got so many instances where poor culture leads to absolute bankruptcy of the company mm-hmm. we had one very recently hardly 4 months ago and there's no surprise it sort of happens periodically i've seen it over the decades but one common factor is this issue of culture mm-hmm. so so i can't help saying that if i'm a newly qualified uh, student and i'm evaluating where do i kind of uh, you know take my next opportunity i would really say spend some time reading about the culture of the proposed company mm-hmm. right you will get lots of inputs from annual reports investor reports you are you run investor relations um and understand the culture of the leadership of the company and people like me who are a subset of the big company uh have to have to live what we are supposed to be in the case of banking at the end of the day banks actually have a quite a hollow balance sheet by that i mean almost nothing belongs to the bank all the money that is there belongs to someone else mm-hmm. all the money that we have lent is actually to be repaid so that we can repay <laughs> customers who have paid us we own the buildings and all that but actually the balance sheet is quite hollow uh, so the point i'm making is there is a massive position of trust that the in the community provides i mean expects on us and culture has to represent that trust mm-hmm. so ethics is a big thing for banks as you can imagine when you're managing others monies so all of these i'm of course compressing this big topic but all of these are the ways in which you demonstrate your day to day behaviors there's no friday i'll work like this and december i'll be like this but january i'll be different it can't be like that it has to be the same so if that is lived then whether it's a 10000 man company or a 5000 or 15000 doesn't matter it it's the way the companies are run then there's a last point i'd make is how do you know whether it is actually in play or not you know you can tell yourself that i did my best but it still didn't work mm-hmm. and so the important thing about running culture is finding ways to evaluate whether that works or not so for example i did not quite evaluate in so many years until about 5 7 years ago which is there is one element of culture called speak up right speak up culture mm-hmm. so the question is does your company encourage speak up culture mm-hmm. meaning employees around the world from new york to new zealand and everything in between regardless of the grade in which you are are you allowed to speak up whatever you think is right in a respectful way mm-hmm. right because that means that you hear the voice otherwise all the senior leaders sit in their large cabins on some top floor and will not know what's happening mm-hmm. only when employees have the license to speak up will the culture start to filter up right then how do you measure speak up so then there are surveys and and then you measure whether 87% of your employees said they can speak up 
and then last year it was 75 and now it's 87 so maybe we are getting better mm. if it drops to 50 say my god employees are telling us they are not willing to speak up so it's a problem yeah. so there are pointers like that on culture that you have to unpeel and as much as banking is difficult in its own way culture is even more difficult so you got to work at it measure it evaluate it and rectify it mm. Very well put. Yeah. I really like the way that you put culture and understanding the company's missions and values. Uh, as you say, it might sound fluffy and high level, but honestly, when you dig into it, uh, what makes a good organization is Correct. one that has good values. And that is how you can find somewhere that you'd like to work at Correct. and feel that there's a purpose in your role. And uh, beautifully put as well, that speak up culture. I think this is one that I'd like to emphasize to the students as well, especially don't be shy. Uh, that's how the culture travels up and you have to speak up to get your points across. Again, it's about starting conversations, JCU conversations. Yes, yes. <laughs> There's another aspect that uh, people like me have to bear in mind. And I say people like me because we have done so many decades that the current preference of most of the current millennial employees is license to speak up. You, mm. you don't need approval these days to type whatever you want to type. It's only the keyboard that stops you. So the company has to be ready to digest what comes up. Not only should you allow and permit respectful conversations, you should also be able to digest what comes up. Mm. Right. So it's a two-way thing. Yeah, it's a two-way thing, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but I suppose on that, I'm going to press on this difficult issue a bit. It's a hot-button issue since the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, with uh, remote working versus going to the office. And clearly this has impacted as well a little bit on communication flow as well as team management. And as you say, uh, let alone managing a global workforce, imagining this global workforce that, let's say, a percentage of them is at home and a percentage of them in the office and comes with its own pros and cons. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. So you, thankfully you said it's a hot topic because it has turned out to be a hot topic. I wish it was not a hot topic. Um, so call me what you like, call me old-fashioned, whatever. But the truth is, in my personal opinion, if an operating model of a large global company with several thousand employees is, is to have a model where employees choose to work from home as one book end, I cannot be convinced that that is as good or will be as superior as the model, historical model mm. of working physically. Mm -hmm. Now, I am sensible enough to understand that you don't need to swing the pendulum back to the old days. You don't need the other bookend to not tolerate work from home or flexible. So it is somewhere in between. But if the, <laughs> interesting, I'll go back to the culture point. If the culture of the company is pro-employees fundamentally, which permits flexibility as required for your living, for your life circumstances, for your life challenges, where the company supports you for many things that you encounter at a personal level, and yet you are able to produce you know, efficiently for the, for the business outcomes, then what else does an employee really need apart from compensation and all that? So the question is not really, unfortunately, phrased as work from home or work from office. The question is, is the culture of the company 
adequate enough to recognize that not all employees around the world at the same time have the same circumstances mm -hmm. to have one cookie cutter model. Mm -hmm. That no longer works. So, I mean, could we have done this podcast as efficiently, you sitting in your bedroom and me sitting in my bedroom? I can't be convinced that it will be as good as this one, mm -hmm. however this might end. So, then why would we question the importance of working for in a bank you know you're dealing with millions of customers who all exp they don't frankly care where you work from but what they care for is how exactly you protect their money and how exactly mm -hmm. you service them right so these are difficult topics but i'm in the camp which believes that my personal opinion that we must have flexibility we must acknowledge different life circumstances daily circumstances and milestone circumstances. So daily could be I need to go to the dentist today. Milestone could be I got a kid and so I got to figure out what I have to do. All those have to be factored in. And so those are policies which are employee denominated. They're not necessarily operating model cookie cutter to say work from home on Monday, but come on Tuesday, go back on Wednesday, come back on Thursday. It's, it's not relevant, mm -hmm. right? So the great thing about technology, as you know, is it enables all of this then the question is how much of this should you encourage how much of mm -hmm. this should you insist and how much of this should you tolerate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no perfect answer but it is <laughs> a hot topic in my opinion actually it's a perfect answer because when you think about it flexibility is the hybrid model the best of both worlds right uh, and true enough there's no cookie cutter model that uh, fits just everyone uh, we are in the age of digitization and customizability. Why should we let that not get into our work life as well? So with flexibility, we can customize it, as you say, uh, whether it be daily needs or milestone needs. As long as there's that culture of flexibility in your work, then yes. definitely it's able to accommodate. I have a 21-year-old son who's about to get into the workforce one week from now. Where are we? Yeah, one week from now. And uh, as he was, you know, signing up to this company, one of the things I remember him telling me he's in the United States uh, is, uh, I don't know their policy about work from home. I said, why the hell do you have to care? Or shouldn't you be turning up and going there? And what else do you have to do on a daily basis? <laughs> you know, so make the most of it. Get onto the office, meet as many people, learn as much as you can, work hard and do what and if on a certain time you need to not go and attend to something else, I've got to get a driving license, of course, go do that, right? So it depends what, what mental perspective you come in with. So I would hesitate to say that a new entrant to a workforce, that this should be a big topic for discussion mm -hmm. for that person. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't be convinced that it's the most important topic. Mm-hmm. I suppose it would be a part of consideration, yes. perhaps not the most important yes. topic, because I definitely agree. There is a reason why we're sitting here in front of each other right now and not doing it over Zoom. Yes. Uh, perhaps in my personal experience in the industry, when you have a Zoom meeting, it is simply not as impactful as an in-person meeting. In the end, we are still in a people business. Uh, it's very relationship-oriented. It's very important. There's this uh, feeling that you get uh, when you're here physically, instead of digitally. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's just that you can see that I'm sweating, but apart from that, <laughs> Zoom would have been better. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. I hope you're not sweating no, because not of my difficult all. questions. Not at all, no. 
All pleasure, right. pleasure. Okay, excellent. But now that we are talking about Zoom and technology and all, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about the next big big thing, in my opinion, uh, my humble opinion, perhaps. Uh, AI and ML, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, automation, but the rapid advancement of AI, automation, and ML, how do you see the future of work evolving and what role humans will play in this changing landscape, especially in the banking sector, you know, that we have been very fast in evolving, uh, perhaps even accelerated uh, by the pandemic into digital banking. Uh, You are the head of group capability centers, and now we have this AI and ML thing coming. Right, it's a good question. So here are some facts that are interesting. Banking industry is generally very proactive in adopting new technologies. Somebody some time ago in 1964 went to some boss and proposed that that, comp- that bank should invest in what is called an ATM. Hmm. You know, magic, you put some plastic inside, it'll spit out money. <laughs> it is so utterly innovative, right? And it survived for 50 years. Uh, You know, you go to a bank, you can move $500 million within two seconds to another part of the world. Magic, right? Of course not magic, but technology. So the point I'm making is banks are good at adopting new technologies, very profoundly impactful. So these technologies have evolved, have grown, and uh, banks have adapted. There are 30,000 banks, as I indicated, and each 12 months, oh, Close to a trillion dollars are invested by banks in technology every 12 months, give or take. In that context, therefore, when you have things like AI or ML and all the related improvements, those are fantastic things to happen. And my opinion is that banks already, as was the case in the past, are at the table asking themselves, all right, we have this great thing that is now in front of us. What do we do with this? How do we adopt it? Where do we deploy it? Who will benefit from doing this? What is the payback if I have to spend hundreds of millions taking these technologies? And above all, how do I manage risks? Banks survive only on one capability that is about managing risks. Mm. Yeah. Why risk? Because you're managing others' monies. So when you manage risk and the and the profile of risks has changed over time earlier it was i give you money you the bank please make sure you return this to me mm. right today i give you the money but i give you my passport i give you my data please make sure you don't give it to anyone in the wrong hands mm-hmm. so the banks have to do more mm-hmm. then i say i give you the money but make sure nobody hacks into your computer system because then there are problem so banks have to protect that risk then the banks have to also lend money. Then when you lend money, you have to make sure you get the money back. So you what is called credit risk. So you have to evaluate customers. So all these risks have to be managed well by banks, for which if technology capabilities continuously help you to manage risks better, it's a great thing, right? And it's already happening in leaps and bounds. That's why good banks always do their best in managing risk. They never get it right all the time, but but at least using technology, it it continuously goes forward. So the point I'm making is we shouldn't get too worked up about today's newest capability. 
it's an ongoing innovative capability that this industry has for decades been doing. This is the latest and very impactful one, by the way. As to where it will go and what might happen, etc., I personally don't don't have clarity in my head about precisely what will happen. But banks already uh, are talking about how to change things using new technologies. And mm. it's not just AI. Blockchain came up, uh, you know, a few years ago and, you know, digital assets, central bank, digital currencies. Things will change. These things are changing. I mean, I'll give you a quick... Um, I recall, I might be slightly wrong on the facts, but roughly speaking, LinkedIn had done a piece of research on their database of members, and uh, this exceeds some 250 million members at that time. And they looked at the top job titles in, I think it was 2018, and they compared the top 10 titles to 2010. Mm -hmm. And they came up with this kind of uh, conclusion that none of the job titles of 18 really existed in 2010. Mm. Right. So it tells you that new and more innovative things keep evolving, keep coming up, and uh, you know it's for the for everyone to be present and then take advantage of it. All right, very wonderful sharing. Honestly, the risk management aspect and the technology aspect are very married closely together with ethics and culture. Uh, but I'm cognizant of our time. Fortunately, we are coming to a close. I really would like to have uh, one last question for you, uh, maybe a quick one. What advice would you give to your younger 21-year-old self, one that at that point in time, I suppose you haven't really thought about risk management? <laughs> uh, so I would say very quickly, uh, just don't be too wedded to your personal, call it, stance or opinions mm. that something is right or something is not right for me, as in my son in this case, since you ask, in the sense that the world is really wide, big, and global. Many things take place. So the biggest thing I'd say is have a global mindset and an open mind mm. to everything around you mm -hmm. and the next best message that you get on your mobile phone need not be the right one mm -hmm. yeah great yeah. that's true open mindset and global mindset yes both this has been a wonderful discussion Mr. Sriram uh, for those listeners that would like to hear more from you where can the listeners find you online I'll, I'm on LinkedIn and that is probably the best uh or preferred channel, shall I say, and I'm very happy to stay connected with whoever is, you know, interested, impressed with this talk, <laughs> and do reach out, and uh, I'll, I'll be available to do my best. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. It's been a pleasant talk. Thank you very much. Well done. Thank you. Thank you.